You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Service members, veterans, we want to say to you thank you. Uh, I can't think of a more Christ-like expression than to give your life uh, for others, many of whom you'll never meet. And we just honor you uh, this week, today, and say thank you. Uh, good morning, church. Happy Sunday. How we doing? All right, got some claps, that's hopeful. Um, it's been quite a week. I'm sure everyone was uh, glued to their TVs this week and waiting in anticipation, and I just want to acknowledge today that there may be people in this room, in your home church, uh, who are carrying a lot. People may be carrying discouragement. People might be thrilled. Some people might be angry, some relieved. Some may be hopeless, some may be encouraged. And the amazing thing about being in the family of God in a community like this is that all of those can be true in one room. (laughs) And that's a good thing. That is a good thing, church, that we would be challenged, that we would be stretched um, by living life with one another. And I just wanna tell you, I am so hopeful for this moment. I am so hopeful for this moment in spite of of chaos and and all that's going on uh, because through the story of humanity, God shows up in moments like this. It's not usually in the times of peace and and rest that God shows up and does the miraculous. It's when we are shaken as people when the church is rattled, when we are desperate. I want you to think of the Israelites running out of Israel up against the Red Sea in front of them, Egyptian army behind them. That's rattled, (laughs) that's shaken. And in that moment, God blows our minds. And I just want us to have faith, church, that in this moment, God will do miraculous things, amazing things. If we have faith, for it, because church, uh, Jesus is Lord, and Caesar is not. (laughs) Jesus is Lord, and Caesar is not. And this is what the early church had to proclaim to themselves who were living literally in an empire. They had to proclaim that Jesus is Lord, and Caesar is not, and that put Jesus in the rightful place of king above all else. And that is the same today as it was then. We have a king. We don't need another king. We don't need to search for another king. We have a king. Jesus is Lord. Um, The part we play in that, church, is to remember who we are in all of this. Um, As I watch and listen and engage with people, I can't help but feel like the church has forgotten who we are as God's people. Um, So today... And in the next few weeks, we are going to get back to the basics. We are going to return to the fundamentals of our faith. There's a great story of uh, John Wooden. You guys know John Wooden? He is Hall of Fame basketball coach, maybe the greatest coach ever, um, coach for UCLA. His teams won 10 national championships in 12 years, seven of those in a row. John Wooden, incredible stretch. And um, each year when Coach Wooden would gather his new team together, and remember, these are 
the best college athletes in the world. Nobody went from high school to the NBA in those days. They went to the best college programs. These were the best college-age players in the world. And when John Wooden would gather a new team for the first practice of the year, what do you think he would do with them? Basics. But listen, he didn't even do dribbling. <laughs> he didn't do shooting or passing. Coach Wooden, maybe the greatest basketball coach of all time, he taught his players how to put on their socks properly. <laughs> and once they mastered the sock putting on, then he taught them how to tie their shoes properly. I'm not making this up. This is the real deal. Maybe greatest basketball coach ever, one of the best programs of all time, the basics. He brought the best down to the fundamentals because if you can do that, you can move on to the next thing and be all the things that that team was gonna be for a year. And church, my feeling today is that Jesus Church is not just, if we want to not just survive this time, but we want to actually lead in hope, in grace, we gotta get back to the fundamentals of our faith and remember who we are. If we wanna be the city of light here in Bend and around the world, we have to remember who we are and get back to the fundamentals of the faith. So the next few weeks, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna come back to what does it mean to be a people of love, to be a people of faith, of gratitude, of hope. And we're gonna anchor ourselves in that. Because regardless of the storm, if we are anchored in who we are in Christ, we're going to be all right. And we may even uh, lead and change some things. So, um, listen, because Jesus, um, he, he promised to usher in a new kind of kingdom with his very presence. Uh, one that was completely different from the kingdoms of the world around him. And he lays this out in Matthew chapter five through seven. It's a transformational piece of scripture called the Sermon on the Mount. And in it, he explains his plan to restore all of humanity and all of the earth. And that plan primarily is by forming a new kind of people, a new kind of kingdom. It's a kingdom made up of those who are poor in spirit, those who are meek, and hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are merciful people, pure in heart, peacekeepers. It's a different kind of people. I don't know how many people you've run into lately like that, but I haven't, and I don't know, I haven't probably been the best of all of those, uh, if I'm honest. And that's why we anchor ourselves in Christ, come back to the fundamentals of who we are together. Oftentimes in the New Testament, um, I hear people idealize the early church, especially like church planters, uh, young guys and, and, and women who are out starting new churches, like we're gonna be like the early church. And you know, then everybody gave of what they had and no one went without and everyone evangelized and shared the gospel and it spread like wildfire and people were healed and, um, and the, the church was growing. And I wanna say, yes, that's true. <laughs> And the church was a mess. <laughs> it was a mess. Go read scriptures. Read the letters from Paul. It was full of messy people like me and you. In uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing to one of those church plants, the newly formed church in Corinth. Corinth was a busy, bustling city with lots of different kinds of people and money and cultures and uh, points of view 
And while this church is, um, it's growing and it's, it's, it's vibrant, it's also messy. There were people inside the church of Corinth who were suing each other. There were people fighting. Um, gatherings were chaotic because people were yelling over each other. I want you to imagine what social media would be if it happened in a room. It's like that. Like people just shouting over each other and trying to be the loudest and be witty. And, uh, and Paul says to the church in Corinth, the way you are acting is actually deterring people from following Jesus. You hear that, church? <laughs> Paul says, the way you are acting within the church is deterring people from following Jesus. So, in that letter to the Corinthians, Paul resets the church. And he brings them back to the fundamentals of their faith in the way of Jesus. And this part, he is orienting the church around being a people who love God and love other people. Love God and love other people. Remember, Jesus took all of the Old Testament, more than half of this whole book, and he distilled it down into two ideas. <laughs> all the laws, all the prophecies, all of it, he distilled it down into two ideas. Love God, love other people. And Paul takes that framework and he gives it to the early church. We're gonna read it together. If you have your Bible, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you don't, it'll be on the screen anyway, so it's all good. And as I read this, would you maybe just soak in it as if you were that early church? Because <laughs> it's the same today as it was uh, for them then. It says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just noise. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and, and all knowledge, if I have faith that can move a mountain, but I don't have love, nothing. I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, if I give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Because love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I'm gonna jump to the end. Verse 13, it says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. 
This is God's word. Uh, love is a messy word, especially in English. Uh, I think English is the only language that uses this word for lots of things, almost everything, and I'll give you an example. If you get to know me, you will learn that I love food. You guys, I love food. I plan my vacations around where I'm going to eat. So I can say to you, I love fish tacos. I grew up in San Diego, and I have just this affection for fish tacos, all right? There's a right way to do it. It must be fried and small, cabbage, white sauce, lime, corn tortilla. Six of them make a meal. <laughs> Anything less, they're robbing you. I love fish tacos. And I can stand here and tell you, I love my wife. Noel and I uh, celebrated 20 years. I will cry every time I talk about my wife or my daughter. So I'm just, just prepare yourselves. Um, we celebrated 20 years of marriage this summer. Um, you can clap if you're going to clap for me. <clears throat> uh, Noel is my best friend. She is my partner in everything. And I can genuinely say I love my wife. It is kind of messed up that I would use the same word for fish tacos that I would use for the love of my life. They're not equal most of the time, but in our language, it's the same thing. Luckily, the early church had a more dynamic way of saying love. Um, it's the, the one used in 1 Corinthians here, and that word is agape. Would you guys say agape? Agape, home churches, I need to hear you. Agape describes a robust, dynamic, others-oriented kind of love focused on relationship. Agape moves beyond fish tacos and football. Notre Dame won yesterday. Did you guys watch? I know you're excited about that. <clears throat> beyond football, beyond fly fishing, which I love also. Uh, beyond elk hunting, which I know nothing about, but I'm trying to be relevant here in this room. Um, Agape moves us from those things in toward relationship. It's so central in the equation of God's plan that Jesus says in John 13, verses 34 and 35, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Not optional. By this, everyone will know that you are my people, you are my disciples, if you love one another. Church, love is the primary vehicle through which the world will experience God. Let me say that again. You can write it down if you want. Love is the primary vehicle through which the world will experience God. Author and priest Thomas Burton, he explains it this way. He says, to say that I am made in the image of God is to say that love is the reason for my existence, for God is love. If, if love, 
is who God is, and I am an image bearer of God, then that is the purpose of my existence and your existence in the world. What Thomas Merton is saying is that as we live into this way of God, of Jesus, we become actually more human, more of who we were created to be. The amazing part of all of this is that our receiving agape love from God as we receive it and soak in it, not through piety or sin management, but through open-hearted relationship with God. As we do that as his people, everything is restored. Everything becomes possible to restore. As you are restored in Christ, your marriage can be restored. As you are restored in Christ, your relationship with your children can be restored. As you are restored in Christ, your community can be restored. As you are restored in Christ, even the people who were once your enemies become your neighbors. I want to pause here because I know sometimes preachers, we rattle things off and there's like, amen, yeah, okay. And then on the drive home, it's like, well, not that guy. God's not calling me to love that guy. It's really good for us to wrestle with this in this time, in this moment, church, um, and not keep it on the surface. Because if it's true that God's love is going to be transformational, it needs to go into the deep places of us, the broken places, the painful places, the messy places of our heart. And if it's true for you today, that you have people in your life that feel impossible to love. I wanna speak to that for a moment. In this polarized time, the church generally is as guilty and perhaps in some places more of living into tribalism. Now, it's normal for us as humans to uh, gather around a set of beliefs uh, or ethics or rules in our communities. That's not a problem. But tribalism, it moves beyond that. Tribalism not only creates a value set for a people group, but it demonizes everyone outside of that set. It has become the norm in our day and age to openly hate other people in other tribes, to demonize the other, those who have different political views or faith views, cultural views. And I want to tell you, church, there is no place for that in the kingdom of God. If in the course of Wow, there we go. <clears throat> if in the course of the last few months, um, you have found yourself, let's, I'm just getting raw with you right now. If in the course of the last few months, you have found yourself despising the guy in the truck with the Trump flag on the back. If you have found yourself despising 
the person in the hybrid with the Biden-Harris sticker on the back of their car. (laughs) I want to tell you, church, that you are being discipled by someone and something, but it is not Jesus. That is not Jesus. If you're having trouble loving those who are different, who challenge you, who press you, who irritate, it's like sandpaper on you. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Praise the Lord. God says that it's like iron and iron rubbing together. It will sharpen us. That's a good thing. If we're people of grace and humility. If you're having trouble loving those people that are different, perhaps you could be categorized as the enemy in our culture, then it's super important in this moment right now, church, we're living in a catalytic moment. It is important to find our North Star and get reset on where we're going here because there's a lot of voices and there's a lot of noise. And if we aren't set on our North Star, we will go into all kinds of places. And our North Star is captured in scripture in a moment when Christ is on the cross. In the closing moments of Christ's life, as he hangs on the cross, in front of him in that moment are a few different kinds of people. There are Roman soldiers in front of him. Those who were armies of the state, of the empire, who had no interest, no curiosity about Christ, about the faith, were actively dominant over God's people. And I think God's people would say that is the enemy. Those people sat in front of Christ. Also in front of Christ were the Jewish leaders, the church leaders, the people of the faith, those who memorized scripture. They knew this whole thing like by heart. They sat before Christ. And I wanna tell you, both of them put Jesus on the cross. And there was also a few disciples, those who had followed Jesus for the last three years every day, were covered in the dust of Jesus' feet. They followed so close to him and thought they were entering a new kingdom. And they were hopeless and they were afraid and disillusioned. All of those people are at the foot of the cross in the moment of Jesus' death. And what does he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. To all of them, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Church, um, if we are going to be this transformational new kind of people living in a kingdom set outside of all the noise and everything we hear and experience right now, we have to be anchored to that. First Corinthians 13, it describes 
a requirement to be that kind of loving people as God as our source and not in our own strength. We have a limited ability to love in our flesh, but God's love is expansive, transformational, limitless. So how do we do this? Eh, just to close. How do we be these people that Paul was describing in the early church, resetting for them that we need to hear today? How do we become these people? <clears throat> Paul says that we need to be patient. And patience means we make time for others. We don't rush people through their journey but we commit to walk beside them. We can be people who are kind. And church, kind, kindness is not a weak word. Kindness is a power word. <laughs> we become people of hospitality, people of grace. We can create a whole new ecosystem to live in an environment that feels and, and, and looks and sounds different by our kindness, just by extending kindness to others. Paul says we must be people who abandon jealousy, people who are not arrogant, think that we're above anybody else. We should be, the people of Christ should be the most humble people on the planet. And finally, we should be people who celebrate truth, not wrongdoing. And the greatest truth of all for you sitting in this room, for you at home, in your home church, the greatest truth is that you are loved with a furious, eternal, intense love of God that was not content to be far from you, but came into this world to pursue you and be near you. Let's be those kind of people. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I feel the weight of this time we are living in now, and I sense your brokenheartedness for the world you created and the people you love in this room and far from this place. And God, our hope is, is that beyond ourselves, as we lean into you, you will make us more the people you intended to transform this world, to bring restoration in our family. So God, I just pray for, for us, for the church, the big C church, through our community, through our world, Lord, would the church rise up, God, in this moment and have faith to believe that what you said is true and who you are is true. And we can hold on to that. And we can anchor ourselves in that. And as we do, God, all things will become new. We trust you, Jesus. We love you. We cast our hopes on you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church. We bless you. I pray this week you'd lean into who you are in Christ. Spend time in his word, worship, 
be with other believers, and be with the people who rub you wrong, that you can practice patience and kindness and love. It's good for you. It's good for me. Bless you guys. Have a great week.